Here we go. Rejecting the screen. The Going ISO edition as we do every week. Noah Koslov out here in the East Coast. Out west is Adam Stenko. Every week we talk to all sorts of folks connected with the NBA. And there is no doubt that you have connected with this gentleman on Twitter. He's Josh Eberly of Hoop Mag and the Dunks and Discourse podcast. And I've interacted with Josh plenty over the years on Twitter. And we've had all sorts of basketball conversations. Somehow he comes up with a new poll seemingly every hour to engage a, a Twitter following. How did it all start for you? Yeah, man. Like, I, I don't know. I tell the little fable that uh, I came out, you know, with Air Force Ones rather than skates on. And I was kind of an awkward Canadian going up for a while there. But uh, no, man, honestly, I think I was just I was that annoying kid at 13 and 14 who had like the Slam magazine, the Sports Illustrated edition. And I was like emailing you know, editors from Calgary at 14 being like, hey, could I, could I write for you guys? Could I intern for you? And everyone's had that guy in their DMs or reach out to them. And I was just that pest. And eventually, you know, that pest sent enough emails that he got an in with Dime and, and started interning with Dime Magazine and got a job here with Sportsnet um, right after I got my journalism diploma here in Canada and was doing some stuff with uh, Sportsnet and the Flames and kind of rolled that in that and dime into more opportunities at the NBA and just kind of kept building and freelancing and finding my next spot. And yeah, kind of just made my way up slowly here. Josh, one of those ways as you were moving your way up that you didn't mention is that you did an internship with a local weekly paper (laughs) and your first assignment was on a women's group who knitted for charity. So before we even get into the basketball (laughs) stuff, I want to know how that piece ended up turning out. Man, I worked at, uh, a little local paper. It was my first like news media type job, really. And when I got there, I was stoked. I wanted to write anything I could, sports, sports, sports. And it was like, you're you're low man on the totem pole. We have three people working here. You're going to cover whatever we tell you to do. And the first story literally was five women in the community, and they were all retired, and they wanted to do something for the community. So they were literally knitting sweaters. And uh, yes, there were there were some very nice ladies. Not the most memorable piece of my career, I hope, but uh, man, you were, you were doing your research on that one. <laughs> what, what was that, that first basketball writing assignment? Oh, man, eventually it was like March Madness and my editor was like, fine, I know you love basketball. Give me like a little 500 word preview on March Madness. And and we'll run it in the paper. And I was like so enthused. Mm-hmm. And of course, as every kid is, you're you're way over the the total. It's like 600, 650 words. And he ended up cutting it to like 150 words. It didn't even resemble my story. And it was on the last page of the sports section, like the top right hand corner. But uh, that is the way, man. That you got you got to pay your dues. You have mentioned multiple times in in interviews that I listened to and, and things that I've read about you. You really take pride in in this idea that you didn't know a single person who made a living really involved in basketball or or the basketball media sphere and i know when i when i heard that for the first time you say that like i could really relate to that because i knew for me in terms of production and basketball was sort of the same way growing up that i didn't know people who did it and i had to sort of find my way through um who were the the early people in your career that you connected with that really lent a hand because you didn't know them from the very beginning? Man, um, that's tough. Like, it is it is weird, too, with, with this world that we live in. I mean, it's become more of a norm now, but, like, not getting to have a real relationship, like, not being able to have that beer after a game with someone or not being able mm-hmm. to, to bug them in the office and, and ask them, you know, for those tips and points. It was really tough to make relationships um, just as this guy doing things remote and, you know, Alberta, Canada. And there's, there's just nobody from here. So when I... I did break in, man, in a dime. Um, Spencer Lund and Sean Devaney uh, were the editors there at the time, and they were both so patient with me because I had so many ideas and wanted to do so many things. And uh, they, you know, they really helped me slow it down. They helped me refine my writing. You know, Spencer, when I left Dime and I was at Hoop, Spencer used to hop on the call with me sometimes to edit like my first feature actually going in Hoop magazine. I was so nervous. I wanted it to be good. You know, I wondered if I, if I trimmed my quotes the right way, I wanted him to look it over. And he used to get on the phone with me and help me out, you know, um, mm-hmm. long after I stopped working for his establishment, you know, Brian Geldseiler um, from, from XM, he, he lent a hand early in my career and kind of made the intro um, to several people for me. 
there's a lot of people along the way, man. I could think, you know, who, who pointed me here, pointed me there. Uh, Michael Dunlap of Fansighted, you know, I, I freelanced for them on and off for a few years and I never really, I don't know, found my home there, but he was always like so happy to like help me out and give me pointers and talk to me about the business side of the industry, which I knew so little about when I started out. So yeah, man, it, it's nice. I, I am humbled by the fact that like so many people who had no reason to really invest in me or give me a shot did over the last decade or so. What did you wish you knew then that you know now about the business of all of this? Oh, man, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think everyone's journey is like so different, but I, I think I was really in love with the idea of um, discussion and um, connecting with, with fans and players. And I thought that there were more avenues to do this in a full-time capacity than, than there are now, but not to say that I wouldn't have made all the same decisions or would have, or not even to really revise that, but I just, I didn't know how hard it would be to, you know, financially support yourself. And the fact that I was able to do that even for a few years when I was going through school where my only job was to write and talk and about basketball, it's just, I, I am like a little proud of it because it was, it's just so hard to break in, man. And every, every time I thought I was, you know, starting to make it and, you know, getting, getting a step here or there in the industry, yeah, who would they do layoffs or Sports Illustrated would do layoffs or ESPN would do layoffs. And then not only does that kind of hurt your dreams to ever land in any of those spots, but all these great, you know, talented people are coming back into the freelance pool with you. And so it's just a very, very competitive industry. I had no idea how competitive it is. What is it, Josh, that you think that you felt like you knew about the game? And I'm I'm trying to ask this in a way that like, I don't want it to come off as insulting in any way, because I, I know and I sort of have a different approach to how we view the game than we feel like a lot of others do, certainly on on NBA Twitter or even in the media and what have you. What is it that you think the perspective that you brought early on as a kid coming up uh, from Calgary, what is what was the perspective you brought that maybe you knew was different than, than what else was out there? Yeah, that's a good question. And like the maybe not so sophisticated answer to that is like nothing. Um, I, I mean... You know, you, you, you would write something that you read and you put all this time into it and you would think it was great. And then Lee Jenkins would drop a piece and you'd be like, I'm not even in the stratosphere, man. Like I, I'm, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even on the same playing field. Um, but you know what? I, I think for me, it, it was two things. It was like, I was willing to work harder because I knew I had to, if I was going to get any attention or any chance to do anything, I was willing to put in the time. Like if you were willing to tweet, once I was willing to tweet a hundred times. If you were willing to email five editors, I was willing to email 50 editors. Like, you know what I mean? If you were mm-hmm. um, not willing to take feedback on your piece, I was willing to take feedback on my piece. So I was coachable. I worked incredibly hard. And, um, you know, I, I, I've done stuff around communications that I never thought I would do because of it. Like I ended up working um, alongside a political party up here and doing speech writing. And I did some polling and now I'm a teacher. And like, I think, sort of through basketball too. Like I got a lot better at understanding people and, and what people wanted to talk about. So I don't know if I was ever or have ever been the best writer or one of the best writers or had some sort of unique insight or anything like that. But I just, I feel like I could reach, I know what people want to talk about and I feel like I could get that, that interaction out of them. And I guess maybe that was my skill. Well, knowing what people want to talk about, that, that really is a skill. So where did that come from? I don't know, man. Like I just, um, inquisitive by nature, I guess. And okay. I, a lot, a lot of people ask a question and they don't want to hear the answer. Right. Like, and I, <laughs> yeah. I think in mm-hmm. a lot of hot takes sports culture, it's just, we're saying things to rile you up and we don't really care. But like, if I'm asking a question or I'm like throwing out a column or when I was running a round table for who, like I was asking questions I was genuinely curious about. And I think it, it starts there with like, if you want to know, then maybe other basketball fans want to know. And um, if you're not trying to lead them, we see so much, we see just endless writing now. We're like, it, it's supposed to be this exploratory piece and they're just shepherding you all the way through to one outcome. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, I'm not claiming that I'm not biased or, or perfectly objective, but like, I really did want to hear both sides and I wanted to know what people thought that way. And maybe that's where it started. I'm sure at some point you've tried meditation and it didn't work or maybe you felt like you were doing it wrong. 
but we can speak from experience here that mental health is and should be part of your self-care plan this year and moving forward. So you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. It'd be great if there was that pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, be better. Yeah, that would help. And that's yes. what Headspace can do for you in about 10 minutes. There's a great deal right now going on through lockdown as you deserve to feel happier. And Headspace itself is meditation made simple. So just go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA, L-O-C-K-E-D on NBA, all one word. Headspace.com slash locked on NBA, a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. And this is the best deal being offered right now. So check it out. Trust us. You deserve it. Headspace.com slash locked on NBA. Adam, you got car trouble? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. No. And you know what's interesting? You know, we've talked about how our good friend Mike Yam might have sold me a lemon. Might have. Might have. He tells me the other day, hey, you know anybody that wants to buy a car? Stop it. Car. Yeah. I, it was a little out of my price range to be honest with you, but I was thinking about buying it for my daughter. I was like, oh, maybe I do. And then he told me the price. I said, no chance. I'm not taking another chance on certainly right, that, a lemon that you're selling me. But uh, right, That's a fool me once, shame on you situation. <laughs> Come on. Rockauto.com, a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. So go to rockauto.com, shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've, they've got everything. You can get new carpet there. Car carpet, not home carpet. Amazing. Car carpet. It's amazing. Rockauto.com's catalog is so easy to navigate. You can just filter, filter, filter. That's the clicking around with the filters. See all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer. And all the prices are always reliably low for the same for professionals and the do-it-yourselfers. And the try-it-yourselfers, like we would be. Like me. Rockauto. Like me. RockAuto.com. Go there right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on. Two words. Locked on in their "How did you hear about us?" box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Ah, it's 2021. Hmm. Time for a fresh start and a few more wins. So if you're betting this year and you want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They nailed the Oklahoma State win over Kansas. They're picking college hoops, football, NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcasts. I know it ends up being like tired that I've I've heard also when people interview you or other other writers from 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 Canada. It always becomes oh, how much did that influence you and all that? But I am curious because I know in doing the research, like you talked about how the sports programs would have 29 minutes of hockey and then the last minute would be reserved for other sports, which might include basketball. And I'm curious, just as you're growing up with that influence and just trying to find people that can engage in the discussion, I guess it's a, how much basketball talk was there amongst like your group of friends growing up? And then, and then B just the influence of like the Canadian sports media in general shaping how you are today. Yeah. And like, I mean, I don't even mind talking about this because, it, like, it. I don't know that, like, when you go to the States and there's, like, a sports bar on every corner and the games are sold out and it's just such a staple. Like, sports is so, you know, woven into the fabric of, like, U.S. culture. Like, I don't think – at times, I don't think people had realized, like, how hard it was for basketball to break in up in Canada. And especially, you know, if you were outside of Ontario or you weren't around Toronto. Um, I should have mentioned him earlier, but, like, Cabby Richards, who um, – I don't know if you guys know, he does some stuff for Bleacher Report now. He's with TSN mm -hmm. uh, for the longest time, which is one of our two two big uh, sports providers. But he was with this little sports station called The Score. Um, and it was the only alternative, like, highlights uh, sports coverage channel that we had on cable other than Sportsnet and TSN. And they tried really hard to cover everything that wasn't, right? So every sport other than hockey and maybe, you know, Blue Jays baseball – the score put in so much work into. And I ended up, you know, getting to meet and spend some time with Cabby when I was doing some stuff and 
you know, poking my nose in at conferences and, and he gave me, you know, a ton of advice, but like he did interviews with Kobe. He was, he was the guy, I think he made his name because he just bugged Kobe, but Kobe liked him and Kobe let him come on a helicopter ride with him, which is somewhat, mm. you know, ironic now, but like, um, man, other than that, there was nobody, there was nobody talking about basketball and mm. it's true. Like you would watch 29 minutes of, of the high, the 30 minute highlight show. And if Vince Carter didn't rip one down, there was nothing there was no basketball coverage and then at the same time you would hear stuff from ontario basketball fans and from you know sports outlets like oh well people don't care about basketball but i mean it, it has no coverage it, there was there was nothing for it so i think you know i, I am eternally grateful to, to vince carter because um i'm not a big like celebrity there's not a lot of players who i feel like i owe anything to but if vince carter wasn't you know unreal in his early days in toronto then I don't know that basketball ever breaks through. You ever told him that? I haven't. I haven't. If I ever get the chance to talk to him in a not scrum format where I come off as like the creepy, weird fan media guy, mm -hmm. I definitely would though. What is, and, and where is Toronto at the moment when it comes to criticizing the Raptors and media coverage of the Raptors here in the States, we, always look at Canadians as well they're not you know criticize anybody everybody's just nice to everybody I think like Toronto like the the Toronto area they ride for the Toronto area so like they like their guys like they like Tim and Sid they like Jack Armstrong like the the, the guys that are around the Raptors been covering that team for a while um I, I think they appreciate those guys it, it's everyone that's outside of Ontario where you know the Raptors very much want Canada to fully embrace the Raptors, but they haven't really done anything to warrant that. And we so rarely get preseason games outside of that province. I, I think collectively Canada is lukewarm on Toronto. When they're good, they're happy with them. And when they're not good, they don't care. But Ontario is definitely – Toronto is a lot like New York. Like good, bad, or otherwise, there are guys in the media. There are guys. They read the same people all the time. Um, it's the hub. How about – the actual players coming from from Canada, as someone who is awful with geography worldwide, but just then, just <laughs> North American geography in general too, I'll, I'll cop to. Um, no, the the idea, like it, it, you know, it started out. It was always on the Canadian national team. We knew about Rick Fox. Uh, Noah and I have talked to Todd McCulloch about about the whole his upbringing and what it was like Canadian hoops then, and then of course Steve Nash and his influence. But then, but then. It's almost like now you had this crazy influx of talent that's come through. And it's not just the guys that people know about, like the Andrew Wiggins, but also like the Dylan Brooks and even Dylan Ennis, who this Oregon's had this pipeline and stuff. Where are those kids coming from and how big has the sport gotten just around the, the, entire, the entire country? Yeah, I think basketball on a whole, the popularity um, just – it, it, it's grown exponentially. Like, I think, you know, just where I'm from, it's a city of just over a million people. Um, it, it was thought that there was no interest in basketball here. The Raptors had a preseason game here in 2015 and sold out in eight minutes. Um, when I was, when I was trying out and playing club basketball, when I was a kid, you know, to make the one club team in your area, you'd have to beat out, I don't know, 40 guys to make the one team. Now we've got, you know, uh, 30, 40, 50, 60 clubs all running five, six teams. Like the, I mean, Canada is a really diverse place. And I, I think the basketball interest has grown so much. And I think there's something to the fact that like hockey is expensive and um, mm -hmm. your kids grow and they, they need new pads and new equipment every single year. And now that I'm coaching, I've seen it too. Like I'm cutting so many more kids than I ever thought I'd ever have to cut, which is obviously one of the not fun parts of being coached. But like the interest is really there. And I think, you know, the majority of the NBA players are coming from that Ontario pipeline. But Kelly Olenek, you know, is a BC guy. You're, you're starting to hear more and more that there are names. And there are Canadians all over the Div 1 programs now. Um, it, it, it is nice. It's nice. And I know that a lot of Canadian basketball fans have been waiting for us to have a really, team, really nice team at the international Olympic level. And we still might be a few years away from that. But it's going to happen. And Adam, that's that's BC, British Columbia, not... Boston College, yeah. Bill Curley's Sorry. Boston College, yeah. or Spoonie Penn's Boston College. Just making, just making sure Adam's aware. That's that's British Columbia, and if you're looking at a map, Adam, that's that's left, which is west, west of west of Alberta. See, am I correct? 
Josh, yeah. I don't want to. I, I don't want to be insulted. This is what happens when you try to show some humility here. I, I'm just trying to claim that I don't know everything. I've been to Vancouver. Uh, I know that Toronto is 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 uh, just north of the northeast in the states. I'm I'm aware. No, I'm aware. <laughs> uh, what age are you coaching? Uh, right now, I'm coaching at the 13, 14 year old division. So um, I think in America, you guys go what nine to twelve is high school. Yes, yes. grades nine Three, to twelve. Yeah. Yeah, so we're seven to nine is our middle school. So I do the eight, eight, nine program, like the senior middle school program. And have you have you seen a great improvement in talent? Not just numbers of people that are that are trying to play, but improvement in talent over the years. Oh, for sure. Um, I can't say in in earnest my program two years because uh, <laughs> we're a younger, smaller school. We're we're on the come up. We're on the come up. But uh, yeah, man, like some of the I've gone back to my old high school too. Talked to my old coach and. You know, seeing some of the kids there now and the kids that are playing in my old high school would have ran me off the floor 10 years ago. So, yeah, we're on the way up. We're on the way up. And and you also are a teacher. What are you teaching? Uh, I have a 6-5 split right now. So I've got the little guys, like 9 to 11. um, And I never, ever envisioned, like when I left politics and I went back to school for education, and I was like, maybe I'm going to teach part-time and just keep writing and I'm going to teach high school English or social and I'll, and I'll coach basketball. And then I had a practicum, um, funny enough, with like a grade six class. And I just remembered being that age and thinking you were so cool at the top of the school and mm-hmm. you're just starting to grasp big ideas. But at the same time, you're like so innocent and little still. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good age, man. Like they, they're down to try anything, talk about anything. They haven't they don't think school is, is bad or boring yet. And at the same time, they just they can grasp a little bit more than you you know, give them credit for. So I'm having a good time. All right. So Josh, I, I read a quote that I found in some, as I was diving into the research, it was almost like some business wow. publication or something. And it was about <laughs> you, but it didn't even reference hoops at this time. It was just like an interview that someone had done with you. And and it was about the idea that people needed more internships. And, and you said, uh, I sp- and you went back to school to get a degree. And you said, I've spent so much money going to school for this. And now where do I go from here if I can't make a living doing that job? Which leads me right into you're talking about the teaching. And I think it's such an interesting aspect of how many people in basketball media are approaching it now, where there aren't necessarily the positions that are making people rich and famous alone. And they're finding that they do their basketball media work as sort of the second career. And I'm wondering how you're balancing that and, uh, and appreciating it now as a teacher as well as someone who is famous on twitter and you've got this this hoop magazine writing that you're doing yeah man i i I like it i can't say any of it was like really planned to ever be like there were times like uh i was in a very big applicant pool for a cbs job in in nashville and uh at one point i was told that was going to be my job and i thought you know, I had actually enrolled to go back to get my edu- education degree, had accepted. I told myself, okay, you know, you gave this a run, like you've been doing a bunch of things. Um, it, it's just got to be your secondary hobby. And then all of a sudden the CBS job comes up and it was like two weeks before September. And I still wasn't sure, like, am I getting the CBS job or am I going back to school? And it turns out like, you know, there were three finalists for this job and I got a call from not the person who had done my interview, but someone else telling me that it, hadn't, it wasn't going to work out. They were going with someone else. And I was kind of crushed, but at the same time, I was like, is this, is this a sign that I'm supposed to be going back to school? And then, you know, I, I went back to school, I got my education degree, and I just love teaching. So maybe that's how it was supposed to play out. But it's tough. And I, I just, you know, so many people message me and, and like, it, it's humbling and I, and I appreciate it. But they always like, oh, what, what can I do to like, break into this industry? And what can I do to get more followers on Twitter? And what can I do? Can, can you read my writing and, and tell me what I'm doing wrong? And I just, I have no idea, man. Like, I, I don't know what the ideal route is into this business and how you, you know, maintain, you know, uh, what your, your hopes and dreams individually and pay your bills financially and, and feel fulfilled and gratified by what you're doing. It, it's tough. But now when I do basketball, it's because I want to do it and I love to do it. And mm-hmm. if there's no obligation and I'm not sweating if the freelance, if what's offered to me isn't what I want to take, I don't have to take it. And if it, if I want to do the story because I love the idea of the story and it's not what my usual rate is, I'm not sweating that as much. So I think, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm blessed to be in that position. 
We're into the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and of course there's hoops. There's only one place that's got you covered and one place we trust when it comes to betting on all the events. BetOnline.ag. Sign up today. Free account. BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. So just get in on the action. It, it does make it more fun. Just, just a few bucks, if you can afford it. Just a few bucks. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON. To receive the 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit, bet online, your online sportsbook experts. What was the CBS job? Uh, I was going to be like a news desk basketball guy. Um, I don't know. What, what was their affiliate? It was, um, I can't remember. I can't like remember. 20, what the, like, uh, like when 24 7 Sports out of Nashville? Yes. Yes. 24 7. It was gonna be it was gonna be full time NBA news desk with twenty four twenty forty seven is that what it was twenty four seven yeah and then the guy that had actually that had you know sent the job my way had told me like from the jump like hey you know your name was tossed around for this job like we think we'd love you so I kind of also thought I had like the inside track like I had um, because he was sitting on this you know group of individuals who were picking the spot for the job but then. I guess part of the decision was that CBS, again, was doing some restructuring and layoffs, and someone coming from CBS was going into that 24-7 job. So that's how it ended up going. How long did that one take to recover from? Man, I, I, I think it would have stung longer if I didn't immediately have the education program in front of me. Like, I, I think if I was sitting on it and, and, and just freelancing, I didn't have something else to take my mind and attention on, I w- it would have stung. There were so many times where I thought, like, Maybe this will be the contact. Maybe this will be the opening. Maybe, you know, but then, you know, I, I've got a fiance now. And at the time we were, we've been dating, I don't know, three years. And I was like, how is this? Like, she was obviously really supportive of me and my dreams and knew that I did this. But, you know, as you, as you grow older and you start to chase this, those things are on your mind and your radar. And you, I don't know, I, I, I think too, if you really want it, like if I had really, really wanted to get, make this a full-time absolutely gig in, day out beat writer something like that i would have needed to move to an nba market i I think that's the only way that i could have secured it totally say the nba ends up back in seattle and any number of publications is looking for a a new seattle team beat writer is that a job that you would want it would be very it would be very tempting even more would be vancouver like oh true right if vancouver got a team back Ah, man, it would be it would be very hard not to at least make some calls and think about a big life change because, you know, the stars couldn't align much more than that. Is there a a dream job? Man, that's that's another thing, too. I wonder, like. Guys that I came up really admiring, like, let's say Bill Simmons, I see like not to say like Bill Simmons is an all time great. And no matter what, like how some of his columns look when we look back on them and, you know, who he is today, like how he kind of changed blogging and, you know, made lots of different writing styles fun and really engaged like the fans. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, a lot of people have taken that and run with it. Um, but I don't, I don't know where, you know, I, I, Jason Concepcion now, I guess, um, who's moved on from the ringer. Like there's a lot of people doing lots of cool things, but I kind of always envisioned myself, you know, doing, doing something different. Like how, how can I, bring basketball content and engage with people on a larger scale in a different way. And I'm not sure what that looks like anymore with, with video and the podcasting market being so inflated and, you know, people's the, the, the stats that you saw working in politics about how long people actually read print now is so mm-hmm. horrifying. <laughs> like yeah, I just, really I, I don't know what, what the future is and like how, fans want to be catered to from like a content perspective, but I kind of all, maybe it's with a team's creative. Maybe I'm working in like a creative part in, department with the team trying to engage mm-hmm. fans. Maybe that's my best spot. Sorry. I'm going to apologize on Noah's behalf because he didn't congratulate you on your engagement. So I'll take the time now to do that. So congrats <laughs> on the engagement, first of all. And, <laughs> and well, and well, I know that had to be one of the greatest days of your life. I also know that, you know, you talk about like those those big moments that you hit and, you, and you're hoping just, oh, is this the big one? Is this the big one? I know you when you're working for Hoop Magazine, all of a sudden you start getting credentials. 
I know that was something for you. What what was that like to experience the idea that now you're you're a credentialed writer for the NBA? It was it was awesome. I, I like you know um, I had no problem knocking on doors, man. Like there's there's no shame in the game. Like when you're from Calgary and you literally know no one, all you have is the email. All you have is what you have. But like actually getting some some media numbers and being around, even if it was just phoners. And a lot of the time it was, right? Because I'm in Calgary, I'm not on location, but like even just getting on the phone, team PR and like being able to get a player on the phone and and, and having that avenue and being part of it after, you know, looking from afar for so long, just having this little corner that belonged to me was, was incredible. I think maybe something that allows you to continue to evolve and knowing what fans want is, is teaching and is teaching you said fifth and sixth graders, right? Yeah. So, I mean, being able to engage them, it allows you to engage basketball fans for the, for the, for the most part and knowing what this next generation of fans would want. Do those kids know what you're all about hoops wise? Um, not, re- not my guys, not really. Like when really? I was, when I started two years ago, I never talk about my basketball life to like, normal people in my everyday life because I'm not a big I, I, I like among those people is really uncomfortable talking about them in person you know what I mean so I don't really do it but I remember I was subbing one time and I was at this high school and one of the kids just like happened to know who I was and, and it was like the biggest thing and they were asking me all these questions and it, w- it was really fun then and like it's fun to see the next generation too because these guys were like I don't know 16 17 and they were telling me that like Tim Duncan was the most overrated player of all time <laughs> and he actually wasn't good. And I just, and it was fun for like me to be the old head for once and be like, Oh, you guys don't know anything about basketball. Like, you know, it was a, it was a good time. So, so these kids, so your students don't know about your basketball life. Not really. Like a couple of them uh, last year, like saw that I had a few followers on Twitter and then like I kind of hushed them before that became like, it's not really ever come out in class. Like, sometimes they'll joke about, like, Googling me, and I'm like, if they Google me, they're going to find stuff. But, um, no, I don't, really, I don't really ever bring it up. Hey, how, do you, how do you get them not to do that? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I, the odd time, like, a kid in the school uh, will come up to me and be like, oh, you're pretty big on Twitter. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I just, I don't know. I kind of I sh- shut it huh. down because I don't want to. Yeah. I don't know. It's it just... Like I am proud of it, and it is is part of my life, but it just feels so different too. Yeah, I, I get it. What um what what's the most difficult thing about engaging fifth and sixth graders on a day to day basis? Ah uh, man, okay, attention span <laughs> like is is a big one. Like um, there's probably a lot of generalities about kids that aren't true, but like it you you got to land your plane quickly. Like the hour long, the ninety minute podcast spiel about anything you're not you're not getting the kids with that so you got to do you got to land your plane in 10 to 12 minutes and get them going on stuff and then they're just at this amazing age where they're like so insanely curious and they have all these like fantastic little opinions that aren't really backed by anything other than what they've heard at the dinner table and you want to like encourage them to like grow and like explore things and like have these opinions but you also don't want to like ruin their their innocence and like i mean today in social we were talking about um we do current events once a week and i hit them with a few little videos and then i always bring it back to like something really relatable for them so we were talking about like how trump was banned from social media and like trump is even more of a caricature in canada like it's hard for these kids to even even grasp this and i didn't want to show them like the violence at the capitol but like and then we talked about like what are reasons that people should or shouldn't be banned from social media and they had all sorts of ideas from like, if you said like you hated life or you were depressing or if you were too negative, they could ban you. And I kind of thought they would go the other way. Like you shouldn't be able to ban anyone, but you know, mm-hmm. just, just hearing opinions from little kids is so, I don't know, interesting. Like <laughs> just before they've had, mm-hmm. you know, the same talking points viewed at them over and over and over for a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, that's, that's fascinating that you bring that up. It- I'm curious and I deal with it as as a father for myself. Like I, I'm constantly talking to my kids about about the world and about politics, not so much geography, obviously, but 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 those subjects in particular. And as I as I have, what I what I've noticed too is that schools here 
are very reluctant to talk politics. Number, regardless of what a teacher's politics are, I certainly see it at the high school level, saw it in middle school. They're very nervous about it. And it's interesting because I'm always telling the kids like, hey, this is crazy right now. This this is the second time that he's been impeached. This has never happened before. And, and the teachers are so nervous about doing it um, because there's there's so much division. It's both in school, how you guys handle that and what you're told in terms of how much politics you can talk and in, in what capacity. And then also how you've found yourself managing it on Twitter, because I know that you've been a loud, active voice uh, on Twitter in terms of your politics. And I know that's going to turn people off, just like when Noah and I do it, it's going to turn people off on our podcast. Yeah, man, I, I, that's a tough balance to navigate. And like, I'd be lying, like I've, I haven't got my hands slapped yet, but I've had com- conversations with the administration about like, you know, be careful what you're tweeting. And, you know, this parent commented on this. And actually last year we were doing levels of government and just talking about lo- local and then provincial or the state equivalent and then federal. And, um, you know, I was doing a project because we had a, the Canadian federal election and I, I gave, I put four, kids of groups of four into parties and we have a lot more parties uh than you guys but and i told them to like make a pitch and i you know laid out the websites and where they could find stuff and tell me you know what what are the good things about voting for this party and like it was a totally non-biased i didn't give them any opinions it was just hey everyone go you present on this party and then we'll have our own fake election in the class and i thought you know like i'm following you know to the letter things i'm supposed to be teaching and i was excited about it and they were engaged and they got all dressed up for the presentation for having a good time and one of the kids tells me that his dad says that he looked me up on LinkedIn and saw that I used to work for this government. I'm probably just putting gay lesbian bullshit in their heads um, nice. because I work for the, the sissy party. And I was like, that's that's the stuff that kills me because like there was no there was nothing about there was no ideology on my part imparted to the kids. Mm-hmm. But it's the parents who are very clearly like brainwashing their kids and telling their kids what's right left wrong up down who don't want anyone else talking about it so it's sort of this like awkward situation where like you want to give the kids you want them to explore you want them to have opinions you want them to really think about the world because i didn't start thinking about the world in that way until i was a little bit older i think the world's better for it but like you don't want to overstep your boundaries you don't want to upset parents and yeah unfortunately it's the same with writing too like if i say anything on twitter you know, politically, there's chances are I'm getting a, some angry people messaging me or DMing me. And, you know, I used to have people emailing the editor on, oh, you, you're going to let this guy work for you? Can you believe what he tweeted about the real world? And, like, I think it's important to have an opinion. And, I, you know, I hopefully I don't ever cross the line. But, you know, people are, are not in a rational state of mind all the time these days. Did you have a, a teacher that was like you when you were a kid? Um. I'm, you know what, my grade six teacher was great. And uh, like she was so ahead of the curve. She was like a little erratic. I'm sure that she missed like quite a few curriculum things here and there. But like <laughs> in terms of presenting critical thinking, man, she used to just tell us these stories. She's a fantastic storyteller. She would just riff. And she would tell like this 20 minute story about the pasta trees in Italy and how she picked tortellini on a vacation. And she would just be telling us the story and we wouldn't know why. And it wouldn't be until like somebody called BS on her story and was like, wait, pasta doesn't grow on trees. Like chocolate milk doesn't come from brown cows. Like that, like she just intrinsically taught us so many things about like how to converse with people and how to live your life. But I I think she was so ahead of it. And I remember I was in a public school and it drew from a bunch of communities in all sorts of different spots. So it was a very diverse school. And, um, you know, at, at one point, like, I don't know what her thinking was behind it. Um, she had us all get together and like everyone was supposed to bring their favorite food from their home. And then she taught us like dining etiquette and like how you, tr- you, you try something from everyone and you say, no, thank you. If you want more, she even taught us how to like spit out something subtly. If you didn't like it, so you didn't offend anyone. <laughs> I just like, in terms of like how to be a decent human being, I right. feel like she was just so leaps and bounds ahead of anybody else I ever had. So I kind of, I do try to like transfer some of that in my own day to day. So, okay. So how, how can you do that given the restraints of, or at least I'm thinking about the United States restraints of education in the classroom? 
man, it's, it's hard. And I got to tell you, like, I looked her up and I actually know her daughter and I asked her for her number and I said, Hey, can I, can I buy you a coffee? I'm a teacher now. I thought you were great. Can I come pick your brain? Hmm. And I got to her house and she was, I can't believe you're doing this. It's the worst job ever. You're not allowed to do anything anymore. Uh, And I was like, it was so disheartening. And I kind of just, after I left, I was like, you know what, who she was then, who she, they're not the same. And, you know, working a job for 30 years and seeing it change so drastically had to have been hard. And I I think some of those hurdles are really tough. Like COVID has made it more so like that dinner thing, like we're not even allowed to bring food in, you know, Um, you have to have the kids so far apart. Like we're all wearing masks. Like there's, there's lots of hurdles, but I think too, just, you just find different ways to like give the kids a chance to like show something about them and be them and acknowledge, you know, who they are, where they're from. And, you know, you push yourself and you don't do the same 12 books you did when you were in school. You know, you try to find stuff that they're excited about or they're reading out. I don't know, like just, just little things like in little spend the time with them when you can spend the time with them. And I found like kids for all the, like the tricks and tips and psychology that you learn in school and that you'll, hear from teachers if you just if you give kids time outside of the time you they know that you're allotted to them like you come in early in the morning you have lunch with them you you stay after school and shoot hoops Mm -hmm. like that just goes so far man just having that relationship josh i want to transition here for a moment i know that um one of the things i've really appreciated about you is just how strong your opinions are but not in a way to be inflammatory or to call attention to yourself i've just noticed time and time again that when people ask you a question it's always a you give a thoughtful response even if it's not what the interviewer wanted to hear or even how the the public might assume something is you just say here's how i feel so who are the people or the things that are bothering you right now in the nba media landscape Oh, this, the, 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 the taking shots. Like if I was Brian Windhorst, like don't aggregate me before I say this. Um, <laughs> no, man, like, I don't know. Like when I was younger and I was really trying to break into this and I was like, so unfair that like Skip Bayless got to like take shots at a man's sexuality, like in Dallas. And then now he has mm-hmm. this huge talk show and he does nothing but like toe the line between like being a, respectful human being and like potentially racist or just a dick um he made his whole career um on on talk tv hating you know the best player of the era there was stuff like that that used to really annoy me and then you know what like the dun the, the the michael dunlap in my head and it's like as much as you hate it like why why is he still making so much money why is that show still on there so people want to watch it so I, I, I kind of made my peace with like, people are going to like what they, they want to like, and I'm going to do my thing and they're going to do their thing. And, uh, you know, we can all have our own situation. I will say my biggest pet peeve is, I mean, we, we all get busy. We all have our own personal lives and professional lives. And, you know, like me, lots of us are doing two or three jobs at the same time. But like the way that some individuals on social media treat fans, readers, listeners like there are people who are disrespectful and and they message you and they say something you know disrespectful to you if you gotta if you say something back that's fair but like man i have seen you know some like oh whatever man i don't even care i'm not doing anything more like nate duncan zach harper like the way like some of the screenshots i've seen of things that they have dm'd and tweeted at people who, who were reading their column and were just asking a question or were critiquing something and like how they treat them and like quote tweet them to all their followers so that they can you know, further abuse this person with 67 followers who is reading your work really irks me, man. And like some of the, some of that stuff that I hear about, you know, you get to meet this media person that you looked up to and, and some of those stories about how they, you know, the conversation, how dismissive they are, whether it's online or in person, that stuff bothers me, man. Like everyone deserves your time of day. And if, you, if you're not in the mood for it, like there's a way to exit the conversation or ignore a conversation where you don't have to be you know, cruel or dick. And that, I guess that would be the thing that fires me up the most. I'm 100% with you. Adam and I talk about it a lot of time and we, and we do it frequently on the show about the, the Twitter etiquette. How many, how often do you type a tweet and then delete it? Some nights a whole lot more than I want to admit. Like there, there's certain accounts on here too, where I just, I see something and like, you also like, 
you don't want to be a hypocrite. Like I, I, the whole the whole Twitter culture is so hard, right? Because if you respect someone and you want to have a conversation with them about basketball, usually you reply to their tweet, right? Like maybe you quote tweet it if you're if you're specifically trying to get more people involved in the conversation. But like when people quote tweet other people to like be like laugh my ass off or this guy's an idiot, like you know that gets me upset because I'm like I, and I see not even me but like guys that I've collaborated with on blogs or podcasts, like in the last five, 10 years, going at other guys that I know that they've collaborated together. And we've all been part of this like NBA Twitter community. And I know we all quote, like I'm doing the quote hashtag in, in my, with my fingers here, but like <laughs> we know each other and, and people are willing to like ruin relationships over stupid, like misunderstandings over basketball or like the smallest, pettiest arguments about how something was covered. And it almost always stems from one person being a fan of the team that's that's being talked about. Like, I, I can't say I love the whole, you know, beat writers are important, but the whole, like, there's an SB Nation blogger for every team. And it's not just SB. Like, there's a blogger for every team that has a lot of followers, and he kind of becomes, and I shouldn't say he, but it is usually he, um, mm-hmm. the shepherd of all those fans on Twitter. And it's just like, he just spews like team friendly nonsense all the time. And having mm-hmm. conversations with those people gets really tiresome because like they're so invested on one side, but to their fans, they're the objective voice about Rockets basketball, Warriors basketball. And that whole brand to me is, is gross and so far removed from what media is supposed to do. But again, I tell myself, you know what, like people support that and, and pay for that and want to read that. So you can't deny it. It is what it is. And even yeah. and like feature feature writing used to be something special and maybe it was all this way, not just a kid and it was just all magical, but like all these guys who like, I'm not going to name names of these smaller guys, but like these smaller guys, they get their first interviews. And I remember, like, I remember interviewing like Div one guys and, and end of the bench role players. And you're so excited to like get them on the phone, but like every feature has just turned into like, this guy is secretly the most amazing best guy who works the hardest. <laughs> and I'm like, how many times can you guys write this story about like every single player? Like this guy has a history of domestic abuse. This guy, you know, flunked out of every class in university. This guy plays three minutes, isn't going to make the roster, but you just wrote a story claiming that he works six, works out six times a day and is the greatest humanitarian. And like, it just got so annoying. So that it even got to the point where I read like the best in the business. I read like, Howard Beck and Lee Jenkins. And I'm like, man, it's even hard to read these now because like all I can think about is that every feature now is just this promotion for this player. And there's like so few actual like critical pieces that are like that tell like this is this is who this guy is, good, bad and otherwise. This is who this human being is. And I I think that's so missing, too. Well, don't you think on some on some level and you're hitting on all this is that like it is similar to this political environment that we're in in which everyone is so team first as opposed to the league like like in other words if you're a fan of pick your team i take a lakers fan for instance if somebody is a lakers fan it's almost like there's certain guys on the lakers that because their own media will criticize then you're allowed to criticize but there's no critiques for other people and if you don't think they're going to win a title well then you're totally biased against the lakers or you hate lebron or what have you and it's just amazing how the whole thing has has turned into that and it's gross too like people know what they're doing sometimes too like when they're riling the base and they're i mean when i say warriors like Mm -hmm. you're probably thinking of a name i see lakers you think of it like Man, I have got some terrible, like, I, my, one of my first pieces for Dime, man, I didn't even know what I was doing yet. I got pitched, like, give me a top 10 players of all time list that has some sort of different spin on it. And that was pretty much the band. I'm like, well, I don't know, what's a different spin on it? So I tried to find, like, an accolade that only applied to 10 guys, and it was, like, players who had won MVP, finals MVP, and all-star MVP in the same season. And there were 10 names, and Kobe hadn't done it. And so Kobe wasn't on the list, because due to this wonky criteria, and this weird article that I'm writing, he can't make lists. And that's all explained at the start of the article. And I had some guy that was like messaging me. And then somehow he found like my Facebook, which isn't even my same name. And then he found like my cell phone number and he was telling me he was going to kill me. And like, I had a Derek Rose fan one time. It was just a tweet. I was like, Derek Rose didn't deserve his MVP to me. I, that 2011 MVP was so weird. And I was tweeting about that or whatever. And he was like, 
wanted my address and he was showing me he was going to get a plane ticket to come to Calgary to fight me. I've had guys on Twitter for like reasons I don't even know, message my fiance and tell me they were going to kill me and murder me and they were going to rape her. And like, that is the type of fans that are out there. And they are almost always stirred up by like these blogger fan accounts over nothing. Like it's, it's, it's always like mm-hmm. nothing. It's like that you think Kobe's the 13th best player instead of the eighth best player. And then these people are angry. At you. And it, it's just, I can't, I, it, what, at times it was so overwhelming, especially as my account got bigger, where I didn't even want to like have opinions on things anymore. I just wanted to mm-hmm. post questions because you don't want to like, deal with like you would you would type something so no, you would think normal and like fair and you would get such a ridiculous extreme response because it's so these extremist fans are so filtered by you know these same however many accounts for each team and you just there's no honest dialogue in that how did you how did you deal with those fans doing that i mean did you man did you take it to the authorities i mean what, what did you do with that one time I like the Chicago fan. I honestly was like, there's no way this guy's flying here. But he was showing me like, he's taking screenshots of plane tickets. Like, there's no way. And like that Kobe fan, like who was messaging me on Facebook and stuff, like just ended up blocking all the stuff and eventually quit. But there was an individual who was from my city. And again, and like, I, I, I don't know what it is about Kobe fans where they fit, in, but he would, he didn't like how I talked about Kobe. And he, one time he took like a photo of a bar that I went to a lot when I was in university. And he was like, I've seen this guy here a bunch of times, like, you know, follow me, I'm going to knock him out. And um, I did end up reporting that guy at one point because I was like, okay, well, this guy has clearly seen me in real life. And at this point I am like a touch worried that this guy's going to hit me with a beer bottle in the back of the head one night. So I did actually report him, but he's the only time I've ever done anything above like a Twitter, like block this account. Man. All right, so back to the youth, the uh, fifth and sixth grade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no but, my, but, my goodness. But that's, part, that's part of teaching too, man, is like kids aren't hateful like that. Kids right. don't think they know mm-hmm. everything. Yet. And it's mm-hmm. like so much more, um, I don't know, it's, it's just such a happier way to like go through life than to think you know everything and to be jaded and, and angry all the time. So it is uplifting, that work hard, 100%. Yeah, it, it, it's got to be wild, though. I just... I... There's something that I'm like going back to that this idea, because where this all stems from in our, our culture right now, I'm just curious about, because you said it, you see these guys, you see these kids who are eventually, some of these kids you're getting in class are going to grow up to be, you, you know, struggle with this stuff. How much, because you're interacting with people all the time on Twitter, how much do you think, Josh, is, is it that a lot of these people are just looking for attention back, just someone to talk to? Yeah, there's some of that. Like, I, I I don't know what the what the psychology would say of with like some of these comments. And I just, I think you guys have seen it too. Like, you know, like trying to point out the the lack of logic in the people who hated Kaepernick or you know supported Trump, and just the the hypocrisy. Like, you you point so many holes in their arguments, and it just doesn't make any sense. But then you realize like they've never been interested in having a conversation. They've never been Mm -hmm. interested in learning why this situation has happened. It's all just about like maintaining their role as part of this collective. And I gotta say, it's one of the more frustrating parts of teaching too, is like you see how shaped kids are. Like even today, even today I have a nine-year-old girl, she's in grade five. She tells me Justin Trudeau is the worst. She says, why? She said, I just hate him. Why do you hate him? Well, I don't know, He's he's just, like dumb and he makes dumb decisions i'm like oh could you what like what what decision and like i don't even like justin trudeau the kids don't know that but like i don't like the guy i didn't vote for him but you know we live in a conservative part of the country and that this what they hear at the dinner table and i said okay tonight when you go home ask your mom and dad what's one thing that they really don't like about it and then and then come back and tell me because if you really don't like someone you should have a reason why you really don't like them she's like okay and like again totally reachable you can have an honest conversation but if you did that with a parent they would be like whoa hook you and you're just trying to make me look like an idiot and why would this even happen and it's just it's it's sad man it's sad that we lose that ability to to actually have a conversation and want to hear each other and like you know rather than just tout the same thing over and over i don't know i'm I'm getting lost here but you know what i mean no i I do i do know and and it 
I can really tell that you, those kids are really lucky to have you, and yep. they might they might know it now, or, or they may not. But I do hope that at least next year or down the road that they look back and say, you know what, having having Josh Everly as my teacher has led me to this point. Let's close, Josh, with the rejecting the screen question as we ask all of our guests. We always put some sort of caveat on it, so let's do it with guys that you've seen play in person. The guy that you would choose to reject the screen, go ISO, get your team a bucket. Oh, that I've seen live? Mm-hmm. Mm. This has to be a Canadian, right? I mean, I Noah, he's got to give some some love to one of these Canadian hoopers, I'm thinking. Sorry, Josh. I mean, I mean, he's not, he's not going to say R.J. Barrett. I know that. No. No, no. Just, but, I mean, Murray. I mean, come on. Not, anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll say I'll say Jamal Murray predecessor, and I'll give him some credit. And I'll say uh, Gilbert Arenas, prime agent zero. Man, he's one of the most entertaining players I've ever seen live. And I had to, and I, the first time I went to see this guy live, I was like 13 or 14, and my Christmas present was tickets. We were going to stay with a family friend in Toronto and go see Gilbert Arenas play the Raptors. And they'd ask me, "Do you want to see the Magic, the Wizards, or someone else?" And I was like, "Oh, I want to see, I want to see Gilbert Arenas. He's one of my favorite players." And Gilbert Arenas came down. He threw a 180 dunk down in warm-up, and he was a last-minute scratch. And I could no. not believe it. Could not believe it. It was my first ever NBA game. I was so excited. So I didn't get to see him until like three or four years after that. And at that point, he still wasn't. He wasn't that guy. He wasn't Agent Zero anymore. And he was on the Magic, hilariously enough. But uh, we will we will say that still counts as someone I've seen live because Prime <laughs> Gilbert Arenas was was so bad. <laughs> So when so when people bring up the idea of yeah load management's the worst because you have a family of five that comes and pays all this money and then the guy sits yes. I mean you're like the case in point example of that that they're I, referring to I am to. that kid I am that sad sad eyed oh. child who flew four and a half hours and had come to the big city to see an NBA game that oh. this was the last minute scratch although I will DNP. say like. Ron Butler did hit a fadeaway over Chris Bosch to win that game, which was, it was nice. It was still a nice game. So it wasn't a total loss. Oh, that's tough. All right. So you can follow Josh on Twitter at Josh Eberle. You can interact with him as well and know that he will not come back in any sort of harsh, negative way. He's just looking for honest, real, authentic, genuine basketball conversation. Josh, I really did enjoy this. Thanks so much for all the time. Yeah, no, guys, I really appreciated it. Um, it's such a like weird intersect. I'd be able to talk about teaching and basketball and Twitter all in the same same conversation, but it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. I was really looking forward to talking to Josh simply because our only interaction has been through Twitter collaboration and some stuff at HoopMag. Knew nothing about Josh Everly as a person. And that was fascinating as almost like a, an experiment type conversation. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that too. It's almost like he says it's as much as he keeps, it sounds like his students away from what he does in his basketball life. It's almost like he keeps those of us who interact with him in the basketball world at bay from who he is, you know, in everyday life in a way and the teaching and, and all that. And I, uh, I found it fascinating just because I, I have felt that way for a while that his conversations and his interests were always so authentic. It always just these conversations. He just wants to get to know people. He's intrigued by them. He'll give his honest opinion as, as he points out, but he's so interested in, in what others think about too. And it was really cool getting to hear about not just his backstory and what I researched it, finding out, Oh, I really, the more I read about him, the more I liked the guy, but then just, hearing the way he talks as a teacher, you said it, these kids are super lucky to have him as someone who cares so much about what they're learning and how they're growing at such an impressionable age. So awesome. Kudos to him for that. I did a podcast last year, maybe two years ago with my sixth grade teacher, my podcast called the follow-up. I reconnected mm -hmm. with my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Howard. And my question was, to her and then we just go based off wherever that first question goes and i feel bad not having some sort of insightful first question to josh but i asked mrs howard what was going on in your life when you were teaching us because as oh, kids awesome. 
I guess, kids, you have no idea what's going on in your teacher's life. Maybe you do now more because of social media, but teachers mm. on social media, especially Facebook, Instagram, they don't use their real names. And we, I, had, I didn't know that we were Mrs. Howard's first sixth grade class. I didn't know she had just gotten married. We know any of this stuff that she had just moved. We, we had no idea. And, and now, like, being a parent and thinking about uh-huh. Uh-huh. The, real, the real world and being responsible for, all, you know, for these kids. Yeah, I, I really do hope that Josh's students connect with him down the road and let him know the impact that he's had on them. I'm sure that they will. Adam and I have got a big project coming up in the next couple of weeks that you will not want to miss. We rarely say that. So just trust us. Mm-hmm. Hit the subscribe button. If you hear about rejecting the screen, tell someone else about it. Make sure they tell somebody else about it. Hit the subscribe button so you do not miss out on the project that we're going to roll out in the next couple of weeks over the course of two episodes of rejecting the screen. Just trust us. Hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Don't miss anything else going on on the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked on NBA, the national show, five days a week. Locked on fantasy basketball, Josh Lloyd, Hollinger, and Duncan, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, and your team every single day as part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're on Instagram sometimes at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at NaismithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.